This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, please. We're going to be launching off in Galatians chapter 5 today, but then we're going to be going around to some other scriptures. And the, the title of today's message is Your Tree. I'll get into that, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that's going to be or what that should look like in your life as a believer. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts, knowing that, that everything that we've received from you, even all the gifts that you've given us, they're by your grace. They're by your goodness. They're even according to your mercy. And God, we pray that we would have our hearts in the right place this morning to receive the goodness of your word and that it being planted in the fertile soil of our hearts would, would produce fruit. Thank you, Lord, for our worship team and just a sweet time of worship that, that it would be a heartfelt expression of the fruit of our lips in spirit and in truth, not just singing words or tapping our feet to a, a nice beat, but it would be an offering of the fruit of our lips to you. Thank you, God, for the studying of your word that you give us. We pray that as we look at it, and apply it to our lives, that that would also be an act of worship towards you, knowing and expressing that your word is good and it's intended to do good things in our hearts and through our lives. And God, we pray that you'd bless the tithes and offerings today and that there would be no giving and compulsion, but that it would be um, in worship towards you, God. Thank you that we have a church that has these potlucks once a month that we gather together and we study the apostles' doctrine. We have fellowship, we have breaking of bread, and we have prayer. And we are a good representation, a right representation of a New Testament body of believers. We pray that you continue to, to bless your church, to build up your church, to edify your church, and to bring yourself, your name, glory, through our hearts of obedience to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're a tree. Well, maybe you're not a tree. Maybe you're a plant. Maybe you're a, you're a branch connected to a vine. There's many things that you could be. But what you should be as a believer in Jesus Christ is you should be, you are something that needs to be producing fruit. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. You should be a fruit producer. In fact, coming off of our, our series of glorious expectations, um, something that you can expect in your life when expecting great things in God is fruitfulness. You can expect fruitfulness in your submission to God and in your willingness, your, your obedience to Him. You can expect fruitfulness in your life. 
Now, maybe for us, we don't know exactly what that looks like, or we have a, a, a vague understanding. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go walk through some scriptures with you to define what spiritual fruitfulness looks like and to encourage us to that end, seeking that in our own lives. It, sometimes there's a detachment from what fruitfulness looks like because we don't really go plant plants and harvest fruit, do you? Do you guys have a garden? Who has a garden? It, oh, well, is it, is it fruitful? I hope so. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Otherwise, you'd scrap it. You wouldn't have it. The whole point of having... How many of you guys grow weeds as a hobby? Yeah, that's more accurate. I have these, these weeds that I, I like to tend and groom. No, you don't do that. You understand that fruit is a good thing and fruit comes from plants and trees for your benefit. And you, as a child of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, are called and appointed to fruitfulness on his behalf. We're going to look at three questions this morning and attach them to three separate scriptures that paint us a picture of the fruitfulness in a Christian's life what that should look like, and what it means. Here's the three questions if you're following along and you're taking note. Number one, what is fruit in a believer's life? What is fruit? What does it look like? What does it mean? It's an important question we're going to answer. Number two, what does fruit do? What does it do? What's the purpose of it? Number three, what is the benefit? What's the benefit of fruit? I don't know if you like fruit, but I, I like fruit. I particularly like fruit smoothies. You blend them up into this blessed uh, freezing cold goodness and, and suck it through a straw. I can't drink it from a cup because it gets stuck up in my stash, if you know what I mean. But you get a nice big thick straw and you get a good smoothie and, and, and you can feel how healthy it is for you. We're going to talk about the benefits of fruit. Number one, question number one, if you are not there already, in fact, I haven't turned there since this morning's study, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to talk about uh, what fruit is. What is fruit in a believer's life? And we have to start with the context a little bit earlier defining the opposite of fruit, which is selfishness in a believer's life. But here we have in chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the, lusts, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish." If you are led by the Spirit, now are not under the law. You are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. If you're a note taker, you can jot those down or even underline them in your Bible if you'd like. Now the works of the flesh, keywords being works of flesh, are evident. 
What does that mean? They're evidenced through your actions. They're showing where your flesh is, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the contrast. But, you can circle that if you'd like as well, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one thing that we just looked at is the, the what of the flesh. What was it? The what of the flesh? The works of the flesh. Now, some Christians get this confused, and they'll say that there's fruit of the flesh and there's fruit of the Spirit. This is false and is not a biblical concept. You cannot produce fruit in the flesh. You can't even produce bad fruit. What you do is you produce no fruit in the flesh. It's a work or an act of the flesh. It's no fruit at all. In fact, we see throughout Scripture the correlation between fruitlessness and fruitfulness. Jesus uh, cursing the, the tree, the fig tree, because it was what? It was fruitless. Not that it had little fruit. Not that the baby fruits were not good or whatever. It was fruitless. It did not play its role by producing fruits. Think about the, the wheat and the tares. The, the servants go to the master. Master, master, your enemy came in during the night and he sowed in, he sowed in tares with your wheat. And the master says, okay, calm down. Let the wheat and the tares grow together. And when the harvest time comes, you take the wheat and you put it in the storehouse or the barn. You harvest the fruit, which is what wheat is, you can make bread or other things. Wheat's a, a, a fruit of, of the plant. You, you put that in the barnhouse, and then you take the weeds and you cast them out. You burn them with fire. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but burning weeds with fire is a very enjoyable experience. I grew up in Pahrump. I've shared with you before. And one of the things that I remember about growing up in Pahrump is that we would get these tumbleweeds in our front yard 10, 12 feet tall. They were huge. And once or twice a year, we'd go out there and we'd get the shovel and we'd try to cut the, the, the roots off, the, the weeds off at the root, and we would, they, they were dead. We'd have them, we'd pile them all up, and we'd light them on fire, and it was this glorious explosion of the little thorns that will prick you if you mess around around tumbleweeds or weeds, fruitless plants. We also, on the side of our house there in Pahrump, had a tomato garden and some other plants as well that were fruit producers. There was never a time in my life that I remember uh, my parents saying to me, hey, let's go uproot the tomato plants and let's go have a bonfire for fun. We didn't burn the fruitful plants for fun. We burned the unfruitful plants Now, again, these works of the flesh are not to be associated with 
fruit, they are fruitlessness, and they're evident that the flesh is more powerful in your life than the walking of the Spirit. And that's not really our focus this morning. That's for another study. We can dive or dig deeper into the works of the flesh. But this morning, we're here to answer the first question, what is the fruit in a believer's life? And here we have the answer in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, I thought about this morning for you, making a slide and defining each one of these fruits of the Spirit in greater, in, in better definition. But then I realized it was futile because it was unnecessary. I think all of you understand and know exactly what these are. <laughs> Let's run through a couple of them just to see where we stand on our understanding of, knowledge of some of the fruits of the Spirit. Number one, and, and listed number one, probably because it's the greatest fruit of the Spirit, is what? Love. Love. Do you know what love is? Now, you correctly know what love is now because the Bible has defined love for you. And we'll look at a scripture that does that for us today. It defines what love is. But, but the Bible says that when you're walking in the Spirit, you're crucifying the flesh. Something, a fruit that's going to be evident that comes from your life is love. And if there's one contrast to a believer's life that produces love, it's the world that does not produce love acceptance. It's more like judgment and hate. Have you heard that word a lot lately? Hate? There's these, these, these crazy things happening on a daily, weekly basis, and there seems to be a huge void or lack of love there's any fight that anyone wants to fight on their own behalf, it usually tends to be for their own benefit not for the benefit of somebody else. I want to bring up anything too specific. It's not necessary. But the manifestation of God's Spirit in your life should be producing the fruit of love, which is selfless and can be directed, should be, is directed toward others. You know what love is? Can you differentiate between selfless love and selfish ambitions? I sure can. I can say I'm doing that because it's for my benefit, not for the benefit of somebody else. Number one, love. Number two, joy. Is anybody hazy on what joy is? Hard to define? Are you guys with me? Who likes to not be joyful? Anybody? I don't like joy. I really identify with Ebenezer Scrooge. Was that his name? Bah humbug. I just want everybody to, to not be happy like me. I'm filthy rich and I want to do whatever I want and not have any joy or happiness. What was the difference between the beginning of that story and the end of that story for him? He, he had this joy. And, and he was so happy and wanted to engage with people on a, on a level that he never experienced before. Every single one of you in here, myself included, want to experience joy in our lives on a daily basis. We want to experience that joy. When you're connected to God the Father, walking in the Spirit, 
and, and crucifying the flesh, one of the byproducts of that that naturally comes is, is a joy that sometimes you can't even understand why. But it's a fruit. Peace, long-suffering. You guys know what peace is? You know the absence of peace for sure. So if you understand the absence of peace, then you should be fully engaged with God in, in, in wanting to produce fruit and experience that peace in your lives on a, on a regular basis. I want peace. Who doesn't want peace? Long-suffering. That's an interesting one. One of the fruits of the Spirit is to be long-suffering. What does that mean? It means to suffer long. It wasn't short-suffering. The Holy Spirit's going to produce a fruit in you that's called short-suffering. So you're going to be able to handle people for about five minutes before you blow it, and then it's okay. You know what the perfect representation of long-suffering is? My relationship with God the Father. He is so not short-suffering with me. He's incredibly long-suffering, and, he, and, and I, go, I fail over and over and over again, and he says, this is what you get to experience, and this is what I want you to understand, and, and what to produce through your life, through the presence and power of my Holy Spirit, long-suffering with people. I tended to, to have a very short fuse before. Over the years, I've learned by discipline in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life what long-suffering is. Kindness, to be kind to people for no reason. Has anybody asked you before why you're being nice to them? <laughs> That's an indicator that people aren't generally nice. Why are you being so nice to me? What do you want from me? <laughs> I want you to know Jesus like I know him. <laughs> I want you to know God. I'm not benefiting from this. You are alone going to benefit. Goodness, faithfulness gentleness. And this one's a big one, self-control. How many of you guys can identify with needing more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, self-control? Self-control are the words that come out of your mouth, but they're also the things that you put into your mouth. <laughs> they're both self-control. They're not saying, I'm sorry that I said that. I wish that I would have stopped myself from saying it. It's a presence and power of the Holy Spirit to have the discipline and self-control not to have to apologize afterward. And it's a fruit of the Spirit that I think is, uh, is, again, contrary to the culture that we live in. People say whatever they want and they do whatever they want and they're justified in doing and saying because they are who they are. You accept me for who I am. Don't judge me. This is who I... Well, you know... <laughs> doesn't mean that that's a good person that you are. It doesn't mean that that's healthy. It doesn't mean that that's profitable. But we as believers, fruit in a believer's life will manifest this self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We have another contrast to, to the opposite of, of producing fruit in the Spirit. We see a, a reverting back to a selfishness again. And I have to make that, that fine line distinction. Selfishness. 
ness again. And we're prone to it even as believers. We'll get into that a little bit more in the next two questions. But with that in mind, and having defined for us a little bit uh, about what fruit is in a believer's life, let's move on to uh, the second question. What does fruit do? The action of bearing fruit. And for that, let's turn to uh, 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 some verses that you, you may not see connected, but they're completely connected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which you know is the chapter of love, which is the first listed, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what it says here. What does fruit do? Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, again, here's the two things that we're, we're putting in front of you in comparison to, to what the fruit is. What's the fruit? The fruit here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is love. And, and you can't really love people without the power of God in your life, without the holy indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot love people. It's too great for us. But by his mercy and by his grace and by the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, he has cleansed you from all unrighteousness and prepared you to be the, the dwelling place, the house of the Holy Spirit. Let's look. Although I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, here's the key for us to understand this scripture. What are we contrasting? We're contrasting the gifts of God with the fruitfulness of a believer's life. See, God gives everybody gifts. Even salvation is in and of itself a gift of God. But it's not the gift that we boast in. It's what comes from the gift, what it produces, and what the gift should produce from God in our life should be love primarily, number one, and those other things. But if you have these great gifts, but there's no produce that comes from your life, ding dong, ding dong, you're a resounding, clanging symbol. Because the gift is good from God, but it's for a purpose, to produce fruit. Think of the, the parable of the talents. Each servant was given a certain number of talents, and each servant did something with those talents that they were given. And what happened to the servants that, that actually did something with the, the gift, the talent that the master had given? given. Not only was there produce, there was production, but there was a reward in the end afterward. But how about the one that says, I knew you were a cruel master, uh, reaping where you did not sow, etc., etc. So I decided to bury my talent. He said, you foolish and wicked servant, it's better for you to take the gift that I gave you and to give it to the banker to incur some interest that I could receive when I return." But now even what you did have will be taken from you. 
We see these professional athletes that their talent level is mind-boggling. But if their talent level, and don't get the wrong understanding, this is for illustrative purposes only, think about this, their level of talent does not equate to a certain level of production. (laughs) Nobody wants to have anything to do with them. Like Michael Jordan decides that he's, you know, he's not going to play basketball through the prime of his life and just sits back down on the sidelines and doesn't produce anything based on the gift that he was given. He wouldn't be, there wouldn't be Air Jordans today. I was just thinking the other day, how are there still Air Jordans? That was like such a long time ago. Like, can we move on to, to another type of Air something? Can anybody else jump high in the air? Let's call them Air Tims. I don't know. <laughs> you look at these stars, these, these uh, movie stars or, or cultural stars. And, and they've taken their gift and they've cultivated it to produce something. Think of entrepreneurs or businessmen. And there's a little bit, maybe hopefully not for us, maybe just the world, but there's a little bit of envy. Oh, I wish I could be like them. But you don't want, you don't don't necessarily so much need their talent level as much as you need a production from what talents you've been given. And sometimes we're so focused on on the gift that other people have to disqualify ourselves from being productive that we stop ourselves from bearing more fruit because, well... We shouldn't be envious in the first place. We should focus on what the gift and calling of God has been towards us, to us in our life, so there can be some kind of produce that comes from it. Fruit, fruitfulness. Now, I told you a minute ago that we were going to define some of these gifts. The Bible, I believe, defines many of the, uh, not the gift, I'm sorry, the fruit. Uh, the Bible defines many of, of the fruits, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, it explicitly, clearly defines what the fruit of love should look like in a believer's life. This is the biblical definition of love. Love suffers long and is kind. Interesting, the first thing in the definition about what divine biblical love is, it it by-produces other fruits, right? It's the key in going forward to produce all of the fruits of the Spirit. Let's look at them again. Love suffers long. Suffering long could be said to be the same thing as long-suffering, I think. Was that one of the things that we listed in Galatians chapter 5? Long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. Love suffers long and is kind. Was kind one of the other fruits that were listed in Galatians chapter 5? So a good starting point, if you want to be a producer of of fruitfulness of God in your life, a good starting point is, is love and understanding what love is. And here we have a better understanding by this definition. Love is... Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is love. 
This is the biblical definition of love. And, and as I've grown in my relationship with the Lord and in my faith, this is something that I would say that even the Lord has used my wife to remind me of at times. I am more inclined, some translations say love does not keep a record of wrongs. I am more inclined to keep a record of wrongs. It's, it's beneficial in the long run because then I know how to treat people, you know? In fact, I was going to pull up, I have a, 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 a couple documents with all these people's names and lists of all the wrong things that they've done to me, but I didn't think it'd be fruitful to share that with you this morning. No, I don't have one, and here's why, because I learned a long time ago, but that, that, that's not love. And, and my wife would remind me sometimes, I would say, that person said this, and they did that, and they did this to me, and no, no, no. And she said, yeah, but love suffers long, babe. And, and we don't really know. Love hopes all things. Love hopes that that wasn't their intentions. I'm like, I can't believe I married you. I thought that you were supposed to be on my page. You're supposed to submit to me. Let's hate them together. No, I didn't say that. I actually knew somebody, true story. I knew somebody who would keep a record of wrongs and they had it on a calendar. And every time somebody wronged them, they would go to the date that it happened and they would write in, did not wish me a happy birthday. Did not, did, spent five minutes on the phone, expected 10, whatever the case may be. And, and, and they did that so that they knew how to treat those people in retaliation or response to them. Is that the craziest thing that you've ever heard? That's not the definition of what love is. Love covers a multitude of sins. In fact, with that kind of, just pause really quick, read the first part of verse 8. Love never fails. And God says, my heart for you as my children, imitators of me, disciples of me, is to be producing fruit, the primary fruit of which is what I displayed to you, and I want you to display to others because love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Listen, this is what this is saying, and we're going to see it in another portion of Scripture too. The fruit of the Spirit that's produced in a believer's life is eternal. We think of fruit now as produce now as a perishable item. It doesn't last long. You got to eat it. There's a certain window that you need to eat the avocado. Who cares? Throw avocados away. They're not good anyway. <gasps> Collective gas. That was mean. I know. Guacamole. We think of it as perishable, but the reality is God's word teaches us that the fruit that a believer produces is not only going to be beneficial and, and, and glorious in this life, but it's going to be eternal. The, the, the fruit is eternal. The gift is temporal. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm going to dunk on Michael Jordan in heaven. His gift isn't going to last for all of eternity. It's temporal. It's for a time and a purpose. And it has, the, the older he becomes, the less that he, can, that he can use it to the greatest extent that it was meant to be. It's a silly illustration, but it's not going to last forever. 
The fruit, on the other hand, that we get from the gifts that God's given us is for today's benefit and for eternity. The gift is in part, it's partial, but love never fails. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. I love that verse. It's so deep. I will know as I am known. And now abide faith hope, and love. For these, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Fruitfulness is greater than giftedness in that you've all received a gift, but how much do we use it to the glory and production of fruit in our lives? Now, this brings us to the next and final point of the Bible study. You may ask me, well, Pastor Tim, how can I be a better producer of spiritual fruit in my life? How can I benefit more from eternal fruit that God wants me uh, to, to produce? And I would say to you, this is a great question, and we need to turn to our final portion in Scripture for our third for our third answer to our third question, what is the benefit of fruit to the gospel of John chapter 15? Very clearly answers this question for us. We've, we've defined what fruit is in a believer's life. We, we've talked about what fruit does. Now Jesus talks about fruitfulness in John chapter 15, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I, spoke to, which has, I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am not telling you that Christianity turns into, shifts gears into works-based after you become a believer. I'm not telling you to get out there and produce, to be a producer and make more fruit of your own strength and ability. I'm telling you that we have to have an understanding of what it means to be a fruit producer. And here Jesus tells us that the way that we produce fruit is being connected to the vine. We're going to see in a, in a few seconds here that, that w without that connection, there will be zero production of fruit. But Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse three, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Think about this, okay? When is the last time that you saw a fruit producing plant branch vine, whatever the case may be. When is the last time you saw it working to produce fruit? Did you? That orange tree. Pop, 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 pop. 
man, good job, orange tree. You just produced a lot of fruit. No, it's not the tree that produces the fruit or any of the other fruitful plants. It's really the work of the vine dresser. He comes and he notices where the, the, the most benefit will go to the fruit and he cuts off those branches or those suckers that would prohibit more fruitfulness from that plant. I learned this at a young age, thanks to my parents with the tomato plants. Tomato plants, when they're growing out of the elbows, they have these little sprouts that come out that are called suckers. And my dad said to me, you know, as often as you can, maybe once a week or whatever, go check out the tomato plants and check all the elbows. And whenever you see a little sprout coming out of an elbow, it's a sucker and take it off. And the, the less that you take the suckers of a tomato plant off, the less fruit that that plant will have. The more of the suckers that you remove, the more fruit from that plant you'll have. And this is why. Here's why. Because the suckers suck the productivity of the plant from producing fruit into distributing that energy to the other suckers in the plant. So you have this huge, have you seen tomato plants before? They get pretty big. So you have this huge potato, tomato, you say potato, I say potato, whatever. You have this huge plant that bears tomatoes, but there's none. Maybe one or two, they're small. All the energy of the plant has been given to the suckers and it's taking away the fruitfulness from the plant. But the vine dresser, he comes and says, that's not beneficial. That's not good. That's going to suck the, the fruit producing in your life. Therefore, I'm going to remove it. And if he did that to Jesus, then why in the world would he not do it with us? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. God, is there things in my life that prohibit me from bearing more fruit? The work of bearing fruit in a believer's life is, is, is this bad. This is the, the worst of, of bearing fruit unto God. Submission to him as the vine dresser to prune the plant. There's no striving. There's no extreme expenditure of energy. It's not a list of requirements that you have to wake up and do every morning. It's a being connected to the vine. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What's the, the key to bearing fruit, spiritual fruit? Abiding in Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, what does it say? Jesus was the word of God. From the beginning, Jesus is the word of God. So how can you abide in Jesus, practically speaking, to be more fruitful as a believer, as a Christian? Well, you can abide in the word. How often do you spend time in the word? And I don't mean that to put your arm around your back or to twist your pinky finger out of socket, make you feel bad. I'm practically telling you, the more that you spend time in God's word, the more you're connected to the vine, the more you're able to be pruned, the more fruit you're going to produce. Acts 2.42, we love that, uh, that verse because we understand that as believers, we, we study the apostles' doctrine, which is being in the word. 
fellowship, breaking of bread, my personal favorite, and prayer. And by those things, and the church exercising that vigorously in the, in the early church, in the beginning of Acts, what did they see? They saw an explosion of fruit come through their lives. And yeah, there were seasons of pruning where God had to do things. And there was the great dispersion or the, the persecution that drove them out with their trades into other communities. But as they continued out in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and prayer, they produced more fruit. If you and I want to be a fruit producer, abiding in the vine is the only way by which we can produce fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You're not just a little fruit bearer, you're a, you're a mega fruit bearer. For without me, you can do nothing. Anything that you would like to do in being productive for God outside of being connected to him, connected to the vine, is going to result in no fruit. You have to be connected to him. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And I want to say this, and I know that it, you know, it rubs people the wrong way. I actually, I'll share this with you guys. I normally wouldn't do this, but I'm feeling cute today. Um, <laughs> that was... I can't believe I said that, but um, <laughs> I talk to people who, who all, I've had hundreds of conversations with people who say, I don't need the church. I don't need the church. I hate the church. I hate the pastor. I was hurt. This happened. That happened. The Bible doesn't say I have to be in church. Well, actually, there's a few places it does. And it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But clearly you've forsaken the assembling of yourself together. Now, I don't need it. It's not necessary. This is what I've seen through every single one of those conversations and every one of the relationships that I've had with those people. There has been a dramatic decrease in the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They love others less. They're less long-suffering. They're always justified in their own position. They always think that they're right. Everybody else is wrong. Nobody else understands them. And they become in insanely self-centered. And I want to scream and shake them and say, can't you see that this that's happening in your life is, is prohibiting fruit from coming into your life? And if, if you address it and step back into the community that God's called, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you allow iron to sharpen iron, hard issues to be addressed, conversations that need to be had, then you're able to begin to be again a fruit producer. But if you separate yourself from that, again, I don't, I don't say this to be mean. If you separate yourself from that, there will be a dramatic decrease in the fruitfulness of those things that we listed in your life. There'll be a, a decrease in joy, patience, long-suffering. Because without me, you can, you can do nothing. You can produce nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, now take note of that. Your desires in walking in fruitfulness before God is connected to Him 
hearing and, and blessing you in life. Now, most people will argue and, and say that that means that your desires are more directly centered and connected with God, and that's why he's pleased to answer you. Nonetheless, whatever the case may be, he's going to hear you, and, and he's going to bless you, and, and he's going to um, reveal himself to you. Ask what you desire, and it shall be done. Because we know the word says that he gives us the desires of our heart. We're walking in obedience with him. By this, my father is glorified. Here's the key verse for us this morning. You want to know um, what is the benefit of fruitfulness? By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Your bearing of spiritual fruit is to the glory of God. And you and I both know that when you look through that list in Galatians chapter 5, you know people look at your life and they see happiness, they see joy, they see selflessness, they see love, they see compassion, they see those things that are not normal. What you can do is you take that and turn it over and give all the glory to God. This is who God is. This is why it manifests through my life. And God's glory is demonstrated through your fruit, not just temporally today, but for all of eternity. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Oh, here we go. We've come full circle again, haven't we? We're talking about the first fruit of the Spirit that was listed again. Jesus says, if you abide in me, what will you produce? You'll produce love. I produced love. You produced love. Abide in my commandments in obedience to the word of God. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be filled. Oh, look at that. He lists another fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says being connected to me will, will cause you to be greatly fruitful in your life. And, and that fruit will be love, the love of God that's manifested and poured out into your hearts. And it'll also be the joy that everybody around you wishes they had, but they can't have. And the peace they can't have through Jesus, but not in and of themselves or their situation. And this is my commandment. I obey God's commandments I want you to keep my commandments. And, and this is the commandment. He, 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 he's clear with you what it is. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. One of the most difficult things in Scripture to practice, to love others. I don't like people, generally speaking, People are difficult, but with the power of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I have a supernatural love. It's like a gift that manifests itself into fruitfulness. Apart from the presence and power of God in my life, I don't love anybody. I love myself. That's about as much as uh, of the people that I love. Apart from God, I love myself, and which manifests in the works of the flesh in the first part of that Galatians chapter 5. And I become fruitless and bitter and holed up and alone. 
not producing any fruit, that's for sure. My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. What's the definition by Jesus? We have Paul's definition in 1 Corinthians. What's the definition of love by Jesus in John chapter 15? Selflessness. You're willing to lay your life down for your friend. You're willing to lay your life down from somebody else, for somebody else. And I can tell you this, I've learned over the years, and, I, and I'm, I wish that, that you could fully understand where I'm coming from, but I have learned over the years that the only way that I have any capacity to love others is because he first loved me. He loved me and revealed himself to me, and I know him, and I experience wave after wave after wave of his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his long-suffering. And because I experience such great a magnitude of the fruitfulness, the glory of the fruit of God in my life, I'm in a better place to, to be able to be submitted to Jesus and, and, and produce fruit towards others. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you these things I command you, that you love one another. This is important. These last two verses, he lists a few things very quickly in closing in, in, in what he's talking about. He says, you do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Christian, say, I'm appointed. You are appointed to go and bear fruit. You are not appointed to be barren. You are not appointed to be fruitless. You are appointed to be fruitful by the glory of God's calling. You should go and bear fruit and that your fruit shall remain. The fruit that you bear is not temporary. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to go bad. It's not a stinky avocado. It's eternal. It's eternal fruit. And you have been appointed to bear it, and it is going to remain. I fully believe that when we get to heaven, when the gifts have passed, we will behold the fullness of the fruit that we bore through our lives. And that is not meant to make us feel bad. It's simply meant to give us an eternal perspective today when we make judgments on a minute-to-minute, hour-by-hour basis that are temporary instead of eternal. And then again, he repeats himself, so this must be important, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, again, he needs to tell them again. He needs to tell me all the, t- all the time. <laughs> These things I command you to love one another, to love one another. In closing, I have three final questions for you. And again, this is just to to provoke thought and allow a response to what the Holy Spirit's done in our hearts today. Number one, are you fruitful? Do you look at that list and say, no, I haven't produced those things, but as I am engaged in a relationship with God and connected to the vine, I do experience these on a regular basis. In that sense, are you fruitful? 
Number two, have you seen progression or growth in fruitfulness? You know, the larger a tree grows or a plant, a fruit-bearing plant, the more fruit it produces. Do you know what? You're still growing. And you should be producing more fruit now than you did a year ago, than you did five years ago, depending on how long you've been in the Lord. You should be continuing to produce more fruit. And sometimes we go through seasons of drought. We go through seasons of trial. We go through seasons of pruning. But the intention is that the next season is going to be better than the one before. Number three, what is the key to being fruitful? You guys know, we already answered this question. What is the key to being fruitful? Abide in Jesus. You know, there's times I'm in the Bible every day of the week, most times, sometimes for hours at a time, preparing sermons or studying You know, but there's times that I go to a conference or I go on vacation or we go camping and a day goes by, two days goes by, three days goes by and I'm busy with the kids, we're playing, we're hanging out and I could already start to feel the effects of the detachment from abiding in the vine. I I start to get short with my kids. I get to be less long-suffering. I become (laughs) short-suffering. I told you! The Word of God washes us, cleanses us, prunes us, prepares us to continually be bearing fruit unto God that is temporally beneficial, but also gloriously eternal. The gift's going to pass away, but the fruitfulness is going to remain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. I know that there's so much more that we could talk about in regards to fruitfulness and and how your word instructs us in this. We're not trying to to make ourselves be producers, to, to working harder. The work has and was done by God our Father on the cross, and the work is still continually done by, by the pruning and the caring of your church, us. Maybe even to a greater degree, not just individually, but maybe your church needs its pruning and we pray that we would be there Lord that we would love one another we would submit our hearts fully to you in those seasons of pruning knowing that it's not only for our benefit but it's for your glory and for eternal fruitfulness in Jesus name friends I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord I know that for some of you, this, this message of fruitfulness resonates. And you know how I know that. This is why, because it resonates with me. I have to, I have to uh, watch my fruitfulness on a regular basis. I have to react, respond. So if you've been in a season of 
witnessing the manifestations of the works of the flesh more than the producing of the fruit of the Spirit, but you want that to end by your own repentance and submission to God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. I want to pray with you with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's how you identify, I'd like you to raise your hand high in the air so I can pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody else? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who in honesty have shown, bear their heart before you. Not that you didn't know it, you already saw it. But you respond to them with forgiveness, fresh vision, and abiding in the vine. In your word and in fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And that they would see quickly as they have made this decision, they would see quickly the producing of fruit to their account for your glory in Jesus' name. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who has no idea what I'm talking about. Fruitfulness and God and, and God's purpose for my life. You can identify with the works of the flesh. You can identify with the struggle of the world, but you lack the love, Sorry. joy. Sorry. Sorry, Lord. But you lack the love, joy, long-suffering, the fruits of the Spirit, self-control that you want to experience like we, we looked at today. If that's you this morning and you want to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ, the vine, as your personal Savior so that you can have a right relationship with God and start to experience these fruits of the Spirit, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, lift your hand, raise it high in the air so we can pray together. You want to be a Christian. Father, I pray for this person whose heart is fertile for the seed of your word that's been sowed. And the response is that, that they want to know you to a greater degree. They want to experience these fruits of the Spirit that, that they have not experienced. And I pray, Father, that, that through their submission to you, through their obedience to your word, that you would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. That they would start to experience and see and understand who you are. And what would come from that is, is the fruit that you desire to abound to our accounts. In Jesus' name, amen.